0: You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation Podcast, episode 110. To the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife and conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today, we are bringing you a panel discussion focused on conservation-oriented filmmaking in Idaho. We put together a panel of Boise-based filmmakers who are screening films at this year's Le Bois Film Festival, an event that Wild Lens, the nonprofit that produces this podcast series, actually helped found. This is the second year that we are co-hosting Le Bois Film Festival alongside the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley, and we're extremely excited about this year's event. We're screening 20 short films across three separate screening blocks, all at the Egyptian Theater in downtown Boise on Saturday, March 4th. One of the aspects of this festival that we're most proud of is the emphasis on locally produced films, and this is why I'm so excited about today's panel discussion. We brought together all of the Boise-based filmmakers that are screening films at Le Bois Film Fest this year for a conversation about the intersection between filmmaking and conservation here in Idaho. In addition to being aired on this podcast series, this conversation will also air on our community radio station here in Boise, in collaboration with our favorite local radio show, Building a Greener Idaho. I was joined in the studio by today's co-hosts, Remington Beyer from Building a Greener Idaho, and Julia Rundberg, who is the new development and communications manager at the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley. Let's jump in. You're tuned into a very special edition
1: of Building a Greener Idaho this week, a uh, collaboration with Eyes on Conservation with Matthew Podolsky, and we've got a couple filmmakers in the studio today. Matt, what are we talking about?
0: Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, having us in today, Remington. It's great to be here. We have got a packed studio here at Radio Boise today. Um, we've got a group of filmmakers who are all screening their films at Lebois Film Festival, Um, And the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to go around and do introductions. So um, if each of you guys, if we can just kind of go around the circle here and each of you guys could um, tell me your name, um, a little bit about your filmmaking background, um, and then tell us what film you have screening at Lebois and and a little bit, just a a very brief sort of introduction to to the film.
2: Um, I'm Pat Metzler with Idaho Public Television. I've been uh, in video production for over 30 years and... doing documentary work for about 28 years with Idaho Public Television, mainly outdoor Idaho. So um, it's
0: something near and dear. <laughs> and tell, tell me a little bit about the film that you have uh, screening at Labois
2: It's a segment of a show, an hour-long show, called Beyond the White Clouds. And it's called Beyond the White Clouds because uh, there's three new wilderness areas, the white clouds, and two adjacent areas, the The Boulders and Jerry Peak Wilderness area. And it's kind of a trio of wilderness areas. And what they did in choosing those is pretty unique. Like the Jerry Peak Wilderness is an area that's um, pretty unknown. There's almost no trails. There was no mining activity. So no roads. And it's kind of a real grassy high plateau area. It's just, you know, a haven for wildlife. So it's kind of that trio, the headwaters are protected, the lowlands are protected for wildlife, so it's a, a critical piece.
3: I'm uh, Glenn Oakley, and I've been making films for about four or five years, following a pretty long career as a, as first a writer and a photographer, and I always specialized in outdoor work and natural history, so I used to sh- shoot a lot of stories, feature stories, for magazines like Smithsonian, but uh, now, I'm, now I'm getting to do the whole thing. And the, the film that I have screening at Le Bois Film Festival is called The Falconer, and it follows a uh, biologist and Falconer uh, by the name of Landon Moore, uh, who lives up outside of Pullman, and he, he has a business where he protects organic orchards and farms by creating what he calls uh, an ecology of fear. And uh, basically, he's flying birds to... Uh, uh, he's flying his falcons to scare them away, to scare away the uh, birds that would otherwise be uh, hammering the the orchards.
4: My name is Zach Voss. I'm a filmmaker. Been working professionally for about five years since I graduated from state, and my film is called Santiago, the Volcano Laboratory, which is about an active volcano in Guatemala that's uh, optimal for study because of its frequent eruptions.
5: My name is uh, Jason Kaufman, and I have a. Bit of a more non-typical kind of approach or a background that brought me into uh, into filmmaking. I was a print journalist for close to a decade, both for uh, um, newspapers and for magazines. Did a lot of environmental coverage for both, and uh, got my masters up in uh, the University of Montana and got my kind of my start there about four or five years ago. And since have uh, kind of branched out and doing more and more of this uh, filmmaking. Um, my film that I have uh, screening this time is uh, Chasing Ridgelines, and it's kind of a, a different kind of approach to, uh, or a take on on conservation. It follows two brothers, Brad and Curtis Brooks. They're from Boise, and they're hunters, and they they take a, kind of a year-round approach to it. The, their passion kind of uh, kind of follows the seasons, and kind of it took a similar approach to following them as they approached their uh, season in 2015, following them into the scouting and the and just all the different uh, efforts to arrive at a spot where they would uh, you know pick that spot that one spot they would go to that year and uh but really the strong undercurrent i think is is public lands and wild public spaces um, and love for that which i think is really a a timely sort of uh, topic right now
6: my name is susan sad and i'm director of community relations for bogus basin And for the last year, we have been working on a project around Bogus Basin's 75th anniversary. Um, Bogus Basin has an unbelievable, rich, unique history in our community. And so we have been working closely with Dave Cook on creating a history video. It's a five-minute video that showcases the story of Bogus Basin and what it means to the Treasure Valley.
7: I'm Dave Cook. Um, I wouldn't call myself a filmmaker. I've been working in advertising for the last... um couple of decades and um, earlier this summer Susan asked me if I would be interested in working on a a short video of the history of Bogus and I really uh, I'm not from Boise and uh, I didn't have a good idea of what the history of Bogus Basin was but um, the story is amazing actually it's really Bogus is the um, outgrowth of a community that came together to build a a public facility and kept it alive for 75 years uh, in spite of a lot of adversity at times um, so I like public things, and it was, it was a great story to, uh, to share.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, everybody. Um, you know, it's, it's clear from listening to all the introductions that, you know, all of us have told stories that, that relate in some way back to conservation, yet everybody has a little bit of a different approach, uh, for sure. And, and it's very interesting to sort of see that and where each of you are coming from. All of these films that we're discussing here are screening at Lavois Film Festival, as I mentioned. And, you know, uh, I'm curious to hear about how each of these projects were initiated um, and whether or not you were thinking about conservation in Idaho sort of right from the beginning and and what those connections are between your story and uh, conservation here in our state. So Pat, your approach is different than anybody else here in the room. Um, I mean, you've been doing this for 30 years. Um, You know, you're producing content that's a part of an ongoing series that is focused on often conservation issues here in Idaho. Um, I mean, with this film specifically about the Boulder White Clouds, um, like what was the thought process sort of going into that?
2: Well, we had done a lot of pieces in the Boulder White Clouds throughout the years. And um, you know, I guess the most interesting thing is it was just signed, the wilderness uh, areas were signed into law in 2015, you know, relatively new, um, and we had done shows on 50 Years of Wilderness where we have spoken about, you know, the white clouds, uh, and then when the National Monument became a threat, you know, it was either going to get National Monument status or it was going to become wilderness. Uh, That kind of reinvigorated the fight, and once it was signed into law, that kind of seemed like a piece that we hadn't, you know, we needed some closure on that. We've done so many pieces. One show was called White Clouds in Waiting, and it was, you know, about the the efforts to get a wilderness area there. So when it finally happened, we were pretty much committed to do the show. But the interesting thing about that is the politics behind it that, you know, go back into the 60s with uh, a proposed molybdenum mine. You know so um, the fight has been long and hard uh, congressman Mike Simpson has actually worked on this for over three decades trying to get it into law and the most interesting thing is that it even happened in this day and age because you know how our political makeup is now there's a lot of resentment towards public lands so the fact that it happened is pretty much incredible so yeah.
1: the uh the area that you're focused on in the film, you said it's, it's beyond the white clouds, but it is part of the white clouds, the wilderness area as designated, or it is an area outside of the wilderness designation?
2: So they came up with three separate wilderness areas, and uh, the, one of is the white clouds. And part of the reason that they're separate is because they had to draw boundaries to protect certain areas to, to get it past, like the East Fork of the salmon, Um, You know there's a lot of ranching there Um, so they had to kind of carve the boundaries around some of the pre-existing uses and that was pretty much the key to getting the whole thing passed that they had to make concessions they had to protect some trails that allowed motorized use so it kind of shrunk the proposed wilderness area into three separate areas and because they're kind of all unique they decided to manage them differently so they have three separate
1: ones okay so these this is a film about the the wilderness area itself, but through the lens of these three different jurisdictions, these three different regions
2: yeah the white clouds is kind of the the showcase of of that area i mean that 's the thing that led the battle that 's the you know the thing that got all the um,
1: the lightning rod
2: yeah yeah that 's kind of what prompted all of it, and in the process, they decided um, well, first the boundary is, was huge, but then, you know, like, as I said, they had to kind of carve it up a little bit. But uh, it just seemed to make sense for them to bring some of that lowland um, territory in. And a lot of that was pre-existing wilderness study area, too. So one of the concessions they had to make was releasing that some areas out of that wilderness study. And that Jerry Peak Wilderness, was kind of nice because it fell outside of the SNRA protection, so that was a key piece. Because it prior to that, it had absolutely no protection at all.
0: Well, yeah, the piece, and and I mean, the film really delves into sort of the politics behind how that happened, and uh, super fascinating. It really, really interesting to see like the history and and the politics that sort of led to that decision. We're extremely lucky that we have. Um, Pat, you and and the whole team at Idle Public Television that produces, uh, uh, you know, all this fantastic content on a regular basis uh, uh, that sort of focuses, you know, often on on conservation issues here in the state. Glenn, how about you? The Falconer, your film is, is so interesting to me because it's about this really interesting relationship of this individual, you know, with sort of the natural world, but it's, it's you know, human-influenced landscapes, you know, agriculture. Um, there's a, a lot of really interesting sort of connections between, you know, humanity and, and the natural world that are sort of implied there. I, I guess I'm just wondering sort of like how you envisioned portraying uh, uh, this character and this topic, uh, you know, when, when you first jumped into this project.
3: Yeah, so I'd, I'd met Landon on a photo shoot for Idaho Fish and Game where I'd been working for them for a number of years shooting a, a series of profiles of people who hunt and fish and engage in the outdoors in Idaho and wildlife and so he was one of those because he hunts with his falcons and uh, he told me about the work that he was doing You know, where they, you know, he, he walks around with the birds in these fields and orchards uh, they call it abatement and it seemed like an interesting concept, I mean I, I wasn't really familiar with it, I'd heard they, they do this some in airports to haze birds away so they don't, like, fly into jetliners. Uh, but really, yeah, it, was, it was really more the relationship that he had with the birds that I, that I was personally more interested in, but this, this work that he was doing was a good vehicle for it. So I just, the next summer, uh, made an appointment, and I, we scheduled time, and I went out there and camped with him. He's, you know, when he, he was working in uh, central Washington outside of Yakima, and, uh, and then during the course of the time that I was there, this event happened that I wouldn't want to tell too much about to give it away, but it, it took the film it, it kind of in a different direction, but at the same time, it provided a greater vehicle to actually explore his relationship that he has with the birds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we certainly don't want to give too much away um, of the film because folks are definitely come to Le Bois Film Festival and, and see it. Um, but yeah, it is. And I mean, that that sort of, you know, uh, is, I mean, that's what, what the filmmaking process is about, right, is, is, you know, taking instances like that that are unexpected and sort of on the fly, being able to think about how, what effect that has in the story and how do you adapt to that immediately, right?
3: Yeah, um, it, was, it was your basic documentary filmmaking where it's like, we're going here now. <laughs> 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 really fast.
0: Neat, neat. So, so Zach, I'm I'm um, I'm super interested in your film. Your film's really amazing, and you know the, the connection. I mean, obviously you're you're a Boise filmmaker, um, but you know your film sort of falls into this category of you know films produced by Idaho filmmakers, but that have this international connection. Um, and and your char- some of your characters are Boise State University researchers, right, who who work um, in South America um so i mean how how did you how did this project come about how did you first get introduced to these folks and um you know become a i I don't know become uh uh, interested in making a film about what they do
4: sure well my connection to this volcano in guatemala probably starts on the tarmac of the miami international airport where i was about to travel to ecuador um, to document a water project and shortly before takeoff the pilot gets on the radio to let everyone know that uh, this volcano in the capital of Ecuador has started erupting. It hasn't erupted in a hundred years and so we're just gonna be really careful on our descent and hopefully you know it doesn't uh, affect our, our travel plans and so I'm sitting there thinking about you know have I packed everything that I need for this trip and I'm going through the list in my head and then I realize I'm not prepared to deal with a active volcano. <laughs> I've never seen one. I, I don't know what that takes um, but no problems with the, the, the flight but the whole time that I'm in Ecuador, I keep thinking about you know how cool it would be to get some shots of this volcano erupting. And um, while we were in Quito, the capital, weather patterns didn't allow it, and um, we moved farther away. But on the very last morning, I made a request to my host to get up at the Krakodon and take me up to a, a lookout point, and it was clear and conditions were perfect, and I got some really great footage of this volcano exploding. Um, in the, the capital city of uh, of Quito. I go back home, I cut together this video, I throw it online, it gets some circulation, and um, eventually is watched by Dr. Jeffrey Johnson at Boise State, a uh, geologist professor there, and he realizes that I'm a filmmaker in Boise, and invites me to his office to come talk about filming his next volcano project, which is in Guatemala. And so... For me just being someone who is interested in the natural world and um, adventure, the offer to go to Guatemala and document a volcano workshop that he was leading was a pretty pretty easy um, invitation to accept. So I joined him and went mm-hmm. down to uh, Quetzaltenango, Guatemala and um, filmed their activities surrounding this workshop that he put together at the um, Santiaguito Volcano. So it's a really special place. The conditions of that volcano make it ideal for research um, for a few reasons. One, it's erupting almost every hour. Um, The active cone of Santiago is now located far below the summit of Santa Maria, which was the former um, larger active cone before a massive eruption blew half of the mountain out. So what you can do is hike up Santa Maria and then look down into the active cone and see the explosion happening from above. So very unique conditions that, um, are, you know, are perfect for observing an active volcano. Hmm.
0: Very neat. Very neat. And, you know, I, I would be remiss if, if I didn't mention, um, my own film, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm here helping moderate this panel, but I, I also am a filmmaker, uh, uh, working here in Boise and, um, we'll be screening my film, which is called Souls of the Vermilion Sea um, at LeBlanc Film Festival. And, you know, like you, Zach, you know, this is a film that, you know, is is produced um, by my production company, which is based here in Boise. But it's about this, this international uh, conservation issue, um, which is this extinction crisis that uh, is being faced by the vaquita, which is the world's most endangered marine mammal. It's a small species of porpoise found only in the very northernmost part of the gulf of california um, and so there's not really a connection between sort of researchers that, that are working here in boise the, the connection is more that you know we have sort of put together just because we're based here in boise we've been you know actively trying to uh, uh, do education and outreach connected with this vaquita issue and have gotten um, uh, a team of folks from the Aquarium of Boise involved, um, who've been hosting regular events, doing outreach uh, related to vaquita conservation, and and how that connects to sort of broadly marine conservation issues. Um, so yeah, we both of us are sort of representing like Boise filmmakers who are doing work internationally. <laughs> and let's uh, let's jump over to you now, Jason. Where did the idea come from to make a film about? Um, about these brothers and, and about hunting. You know, what, what was the inspiration for that? How did you how did you meet these these folks?
5: Well I've <clears throat> I've known Brad for some time in the past with my work as a journalist. Brad is actually um, professionally he works for the Wilderness Society and actually he worked on you know he's worked on a number of these campaigns, the, the Boulder White Clouds. And so I've known him for years in that capacity. Um, and we both have this background Personally, as, as hunters, growing up as hunters, I grew up in Western Oregon, but uh, uh, so we have this, this background. And I'm, you know, I'm really interested in these, I guess what I would maybe say is these slightly unexpected ways of exploring um, you know, issues like you know, these, the value of these public lands, these wild places that we all enjoy, but finding a way to, to tell it in a different way. So you know, Brad and I had been discussing you know, possible collaborations for some time and really arrived at it this way he does that in 2015 was looking at a pretty extensive kind of process to um you know explore a number of different areas to finally arrive at that one spot where he wanted to uh you know put down roots for a week and and really um you know pursue these these high wild country mule deer bucks and so really arrived that way
0: when you're going out to to shoot a film like that i mean you kind of have to be I would imagine you kind of have to become a part of like the 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 hunting crew I mean had you ever are are you a hunter had you ever experienced that before and what was that like being on a shoot in those conditions
5: it's it's it was definitely a learning curve I I do have that background in hunting and then in backpacking I wrote for years for backpacker magazine so I've got that kind of that background in in traveling light and fast in, in you know really remote rugged spots but to you know you know conserving power and trying to you know keep your batteries charged and in really moving from day to day to new spots, light and fast, and trying to keep up with these two individuals which, you know, they move quickly through these spots. So there was definitely the technical challenge to it, which was really eye-opening to me. Um, learned a lot of things, made some mistakes, but uh, I think overall was came away pretty happy with what we were able to accomplish.
1: I'm curious, uh, Jason, a film about hunting, um... How much footage did you have to take, and then in the end, how much footage, uh, how long is the film itself?
5: So I guess, I was shooting in 4K, but um, I'm guessing I shot close to a terabyte of of footage. You know, uh, I'd have to guess, but you know, there's 10, 12 hours of footage in there to really pour through to to come together for this 15-minute film.
1: Because um, so much of it you're just, you're waiting for yeah, waiting and the animals to and show up. And, exactly. So the film is more focused even just on the the camaraderie of two the, brothers being <clears> out these there. These two
5: brothers, exactly. And and their characters, you know, there's, there's definitely the humor to it. The You know, he's been doing this for years. And so they, it's really a character study as well of these two brothers that, uh, that, um, have done this for so many, so many years.
0: Yeah, the relationship really shows through, and th- and I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of this, is, like, you see what this means to, to them, to each of them individually, but also them together as brothers. Um, you know, I want, like, the, the last question I have for you about your, your film specifically is, like, I wonder what the decision-making process was like. You know, one of the things that, that came up um, in, in sort of our internal, you know, decision-making process, like, as a part of Lois Film Festival, like you know, I mean, including a hunting film as a part of this conservation-focused film festival, like, was sort of an important decision for us, right? And, and we wanted to sort of, you know, we want to sort of bring the hunting community in and, and recognize that they are a part of the conservation community. Um, and so, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm just wondering, like, um, if, if that was something you were thinking about, like, while you were piecing the story together, uh, uh, if, if this was something that, that you wanted like, to have an appeal towards folks who, who maybe aren't Hunters, and if that played into any of your decision making as far as how you cut the thing together, right? Because I mean, one of the things that, that came up in our discussion is, like, there's not an actual kill shot mm-hmm. in the film, right? You kind of see them take the shot, yep. and then you cut to the animal dead, and that you know, and, and, and then processing it. Um, so I I just am th- curious what and that
5: and that in particular was not entirely by design. It's you know, <clears throat> it's fast paced. You're mm-hmm. you get what you can get, and mm-hmm. so that was part of that learning process. Um, but take a step back the hunting just for myself personally has always been more of a personal pursuit and the idea of of actually going out and actually producing a film um about this um i have this background in in conservation through both as a journalist but then also personally as a um, activist Um, and so then to i guess bring this other more personal side for me in of hunting and 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 also I, i think there's the there's that tradition more um, uh, in history of, you know, of conservation and hunters and conservation and, and what they've brought to to the conservation world. And it's something I'd like to see, you know, bringing these diverse constituencies together. Um, there's, I think there's so much power for in public lands in particular in protecting and preserving and keeping them in public hands. If we had all these, you know, diverse kind of groups together, mm-hmm. coming together too. And that's, so that's, for me, that was really kind of the decider was you know, I think it's another way to celebrate public lands and these places we all love.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Susan and, and Dave, you know, I, I wonder, sort of, you know, obviously you guys set out to make a film that celebrated the 75th anniversary of the founding of, of Bogus Basin. Um, you know, I I just wonder, like, when you first sort of dove into that, the process, you know, the, the process of piecing that together, like, did you know, how did you come to this decision of, of what story you wanted to tell, right? I mean, did you know you were going to delve into the history? Uh, you know, what what did that process look like for, for the two of you? <laughs>
6: <laughs> <coughs> well, uh, y- you know bogus basin is perhaps the most important manifestation of the quality of life that we enjoy here in the treasure valley it truly is an unbelievable resource right here in our backyard and the story of it is just um, as we said before it's incredible and to encapsulate that in a five-minute film was a challenge because uh, over the course of our history we've had ups we've had downs and it's been um, a long journey for the community and really a, a testament to the um, the power of having people come together around something that matters to them. And so we really challenged Dave with trying to tell that story, pouring through old footage and, and video to really um, bring it down to um, something that that told the story effectively.
7: I, w- I was fascinated by the idea that volunteers created. Uh, the ski area they spent thousands of hours up there clearing the runs with hand tools um, and there's all kinds of detail that goes into that story that um is probably better shown on the video you know through seeing some of the footage than me telling it partly because i've forgotten it already um <laughs> that's not true susan just give me a <laughs> but um you know in the in our current political environment to me it's important to have an example of something where um the people came together and they created this public entity and they kept it public and they kept it affordable for everybody to use. Um, if you, if you grew up back East where you have, you know, a more extensive public transportation system and so forth, the idea of public things isn't maybe as, um, rare as it's, as it seems to be out here. I think, you know, you get on the Uh, Subway in Boston or New York or something. Everybody's the same. It doesn't matter how much money you make. Everybody has access to it um, And you're all on the same train together, and I think that is the spirit of of bogus space, and it's amazingly uh, You know it was never privatized. It was never made Exclusive which I think is the trend Um, as you're seeing right now people try to sell off our public lands and so forth um and thank goodness for the hikers and the hunters. Uh, you saw that whenever it was a couple weeks ago when um, everybody just let uh, Representative what's his name Chaffetz, Chaffetz. let him know, loud and clear terms. And, it, and they could be Republican or Democrat. It wasn't an ideological thing. It was just a tie that people had to public lands. You know, they if you privatize them, they put a fence up, they can't enjoy them anymore. So
1: well, and it's funny your comment about. If you grow up back east, then public transit is something that's a great equalizer and, and you take it for granted. and I think like if you grow out in the West, grow up out in the West, then you take public lands for granted because that's just something you've had. Uh, and sometimes we, we use terms to describe it as a birthright or, or something that's part of our identity. but you know it is something that we have to constantly keep in mind and, and work towards supporting and uh, the notion of community. And that public lands is, you know, a fabric that we stitch together and makes our community. I, I think everybody would agree with it, but it's great to have so many films that, from different perspectives, uh, brings that point home. Which is uh, a segue for a final uh, discussion point, which I want to touch on, which is the film festival itself, Matt. So this is a, a community-driven, local grassroots film festival. Uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Um How did it come to be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the film festival is sort of an outgrowth of an event that the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley uh, was producing for years and years. The the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley um, every year um, for, I believe, nine years. Um, produced a, a traveling uh, segment of the Wild and Scenic uh, Film Festival, which is a, a, film, a big film festival focused on sort of uh, the environment and conservation in California. And they have a traveling uh, program. Um, and so, uh, let's see, two years ago, um, they screened uh, my film Bluebird Man um, at, as a part of this Wild and Scenic event, because we screened Bluebird Man at, at Wild and Scenic in California. Um, and it was just so amazing. I mean, you know, for, for me as a filmmaker, I mean, to, um, to have your screen or to have your film up on the big screen at the Egyptian theater. And it was, you know, a a, a local, uh, local story. So I had my, the main character of my films, you know, sitting there next to me and the crowd gave him this amazing standing ovation, um, at the end of the screening, um, it was just, it was the best screening we'd had of the film up until that point. It just, you know, it was, it was really fantastic. And, and it, 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 inspired me to approach the folks at the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley, um, about considering branching out and partnering up with my organization, um, to essentially launch our own independent, um, film festival. And that's how Lavois sort of came about. Um, and last year was, was the first year that, that we, um, that collaboration came together and, and we sort of uh, decided to call it lebois film festival
1: <laughs> so last year was the inaugural and this is the first of many victory laps yes for sure
0: for sure fantastic for sure. my final sort of discussion topic is um just a, sort of about like what it's like to be uh, a filmmaker here in boise what the sort of filmmaking community is like and, you know, what connections there are to the conservation community is sort of what I want to explore next. Back over with you, Pat. Um, I mean, you've been working in this space where sort of the filmmaking world comes together with the conservation community for, for a long time. So I wonder what, what your perspective is on, you know, the sort of the filmmaking community here in Boise, the conservation community and sort of where they meet.
2: Well. Uh, Uh, because we're public television we really have an obligation to try to be very balanced in what what we show so we kind of see both ends and we provide as much information as we can um you know and some of these issues are extremely complicated You, you know you um there's no easy answers in a lot of it so we get both sides represented most of the time and it's not always two sides sometimes you know there's many different uh interests involved so we kind of come at it from a we try to be as balanced as we can and just provide the information and um yeah
0: do you i mean do you see like collaboration happening between like uh, you know the filmmaking community in boise um and the conservation community um i mean do you do you see connections there or or, or do you have you seen any changes in um in, in those connections over the past 30 years Um,
2: Well, I think filmmaking now is a little easier for a lot of people with the onset of DSLRs. So there's a lot of people bringing footage to the table, you know, there's a lot of things being documented. That aspect has changed a lot, you know, before it cost so much money to get into video production because the cameras were, you know, $30,000, you know, 20 and 30 years ago. And now there's a lot you can do with the DSLR. Uh, as far as documenting things. So that's one aspect that's changed a lot. I I think one of our, this is kind of getting off subject here, but um, you know, the public lands seem to be really threatened. And, you know, when we talk about the hunter lobby, you know, the hunters and even motorized groups, these are groups that are, are huge groups. And as far as conservation in defense of public lands, we have to bring these people to the table you know to um, you know to protect the things that they love as well so
0: yeah absolutely and I mean that's certainly you know going around and and, and hearing everyone's perspective you know public lands is certainly uh, I think a common theme that that we're seeing as far as you know filmmakers that are working in this space of conservation like that's seems like it's sort of front and center in in a lot of our minds that that issue specifically yeah and it was uh, it was mentioned
2: that we take it for granted and, and that's that's very true, because a lot of us grew up thinking that this is the way it's always going to be. And, you know, we never even considered that it would be under threat, but it's it's out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn, how about you? I mean, you've, you've worked in a different role, you know, uh, but still connected with conservation issues in the environment for a long time and then got into filmmaking, you know, more recently. Um, I, I guess I just wonder what your perspective is on like the filmmaking community, you know, here in Boise, uh, coming into it, you know, these past five or six years.
3: Yeah, well, I'm I'm probably more plugged into the environmental community just because of my work and my personal interest, and I've been around a long time, so I I know that world pretty well. Um, actually, I mean. I'm meeting most <laughs> most everybody else here for the first time, so, uh, I don't know, it, filmmaking, I mean, filmmaking itself is a collaborative process, but, um, or it can be, uh, but it seems like you do, you, I mean, we kind of go off and, and do our own projects, so, you know, I, I hadn't met Zach or Jason before, actually, I've known Pat's name forever, but um, never actually met him, so, yeah, I don't know, it's... Um, there's there's a community here, but we're all off doing our own thing. Totally. So thanks for bringing us together.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's that's actually I mean that I, that actually is is neat to hear, right? Because I mean that's that's a big part of, of what we're trying to do with with Le Bois Film Festival is is establish these connections and sort of show folks that like, you know, hey, here's a group of filmmakers that are bringing these two worlds together, filmmaking and conservation, and yeah, maybe not all of us have uh, have been connected with each other. Um, so that's yeah, that's neat to hear. Um, how about you, Zach? I mean, your your story and your film is, um, you know, sort of geology and like volcanology is, is. I mean, there's definitely a connection with like, you know, scientific research and, and, and conservation there. Um, and I mean, your film, uh, View from a Pedal Buggy, screened at, at our event last year, Lebois Film Festival, which, you know, is sort of connected to conservation in a very different way, not really through uh, uh, scientific research. Um, so you've kind of, you know, worked on a few different projects that that have these connections to to conservation um but obviously you also work on lots of other interesting and creative film projects i i I guess i just wonder what your perspective is on you know the connections there or or what your experience has been
4: well i think boise's been a very supportive place to um, learn and grow as a filmmaker i've found a lot of interest in my work and a lot of support for my work And so for someone who's only been doing it for about five years, um, I feel an enormous amount of interest and enthusiasm for the filmmaking process in my work. So I'm grateful to be in this community. Um, In this room, I feel like I have quite a few connections already, just to speak to the collaborative nature of film here. I've shot for Outdoor Idaho a little bit. I've worked on commercials with Dave. I had spoken to Susan about her bogus basin project. So... Um, I feel like if you have a passion for working in film and video you will be kind of brought into the, the fold and you will meet people and um, it's easy to make those connections and I'm, I'm very grateful for that
0: awesome awesome very cool how about you Jason
5: well I'm actually really grateful that you also brought us together because I have uh, kind of a same perspective I've and I know the names but I haven't met any you know really folks in here um, personally um, Some of my other work more extensively is actually I'm working on more direct kind of advocacy with conservation groups, working with Wilderness Society, the Idaho Conservation League, um, Greater Yellowstone Coalition, working and telling their stories. So my connections are more in that kind of arena and less with, um, I guess, fellow filmmakers that are working here in Boise. So um, this is newer to me, which I really appreciate having that opportunity to hear other folks' stories. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think it, it, it definitely, it, it, it's something that, I, you know, from my perspective, sort of helps fuel um, that, that creativity, right? It's like getting to know other filmmakers, looking at their approaches and, and how different they are. All of us are coming from sort of very, you know, uh, pretty different backgrounds, um, but obviously all, you know, thinking about and, and working in this this realm of, of conservation um, storytelling. So, how about you guys, Susan and, and, and Dave? I mean, what, what's your perspective? I mean, Dave, you're coming, you know, you, you mentioned that you don't really think of yourself as a filmmaker, but more as someone who works in advertising, right? Mm-hmm. But you did make a film, so I would call you a filmmaker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I mean, what's, what, what what do you think? I mean, from your perspective as someone who, who, you know, sees yourself as as a part of this advertising world?
7: I don't know. Did I, just to ask you guys a quick question, were you making these films um, for money or, or just out of your own personal... Um, think, were you working on a grant, or how did, how did it work for you guys, the financial end of it?
3: Uh, I definitely wasn't doing it to make money. I did get a grant from the Alexa Rose Foundation, which uh, uh, sort of underwrote uh, a big chunk of it. I, I mean,
4: I was primarily invested in the experience and to be able to kind mm-hmm. of go to this hard-to-reach, dangerous corner of the world and, and shoot that. That was my you know draw. Um, I was able to secure... Um, a commercial interest from Boise State in documenting their students and their professors in this place. And so I was able to kind of um, help leverage that and turn
5: it into uh, a commercial opportunity as well. I think similarly, um, I think the draw for me was the adventure and the um, just the experience. And so really it was most definitely, in this case, a uh, out-of-pocket expense. Just doing it for the sheer interest and the um, enjoyment
7: yeah I think that's like half the creativity right there is to figure out how to live while you're doing this type of stuff so for me um, uh, I work for myself and, and this was another project among other projects that was going on at the time and um, fortunately I, I I did receive some money for that, and thank you, Susan. um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You brought up a really interesting point, right? Which is that, like, you know, there's there's multiple levels here, you know, as far as we're all coming from different places. I mean, a big part of that is you know, our funding for these videos is all coming from different places, right? Um, and so, you know, the the relationship between you, Dave, and, and Susan in working on this Bogus Basin video was Bogus Basin is essentially your client, right? And you're producing this content, you know, for them so that they can sort of, uh, uh, you know, advertise what they do at uh, up at bogus but obviously there is a conservation message and there is this you know uh, a message about you know how interesting the history of that area is um and i mean obviously that relationship is 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 central right but i mean we have people here who uh uh you know film screening that that you know where there is this sort of uh, a client piece where there is this relationship and then also you know films where it's just totally sort of something like i just felt like i had to make this film right and and i mean that question of like which comes first like did you secure the funding first before you jump into the video or do you just jump into the filmmaking process and then try to scramble around and figure out where the money's coming from after right Um, and that's like a central question for every filmmaker
6: so I'd like to add something there. I you know, we started thinking a couple years ago, I think it was a couple years ago that I talked to you, Zach, about this 75th anniversary and how we could most impactfully bring the story to life. And I'm not the filmmaker, but I have a deep appreciation for the power of telling a story well through video. And so we wrote and received a grant from City of Boise because Bogus is of course a nonprofit, and we, we received a grant from the City of Boise Arson History Department to create this video, which is what where the money came from for Dave, as well as a exhibit of traveling photos. They're large three-foot by six-foot photos that are on brushed aluminum panels that really span the history of Bogus Basin dating back to the mid-1860s when swindlers were manufacturing fake gold dust and got busted, which is how we got our name Bogus, um, up to our vision for the future because we're in this interesting time in our history when we're really Evolving into a four or year, year-round um, recreation area to really mitigate our dependency on the winter conditions um, and to to remain sustainable for the future. So, um, while I'm not the filmmaker, I have um, such um, admiration for your talents and what you do and how really that is the best way to um, share a story. So this is Julia, and I'm with the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley, and for all of the filmmakers, I'm just curious about the role of having an outlet like this festival for you to have your stuff seen by the greater community um, and kind of shared. And I know, like, for Outer Idaho, you have a platform, and Bogus sort of does, just because you've got skiers, but some of you don't otherwise, and just some thought about that
2: one of the things I really enjoyed about last year's festival was seeing the variety of productions that people are doing um, it was it was great seeing younger people get into filmmaking and you know the, the people are coming at it from a lot of different views and it's just really a lot of fun to meet these people
3: and just see how other people are doing things yeah I um, it's it's impressive to see your your film you know you, you work on your film for hours and hours and hours on a on a computer and so then to and, and, and have people you know show it you are going to end up watching it on their iPhone <laughs> but um, yeah to be able to see it on a big screen the Falconer premiered at, at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival in California a couple of weeks ago but I got to say the Egyptian is like the best venue anywhere you know it's like the coolest place so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing it
4: the internet has been an incredible platform to showcase one's work but it's also an incredibly lonely place to where you know, views and likes don't really add up to feedback or a personal experience with, with your work. And so for me, um, it's incredible and inspiring to be able to screen a film theatrically with an audience and get that real um, emotion and feedback or criticism, things that just don't translate in a web platform. So for me, yeah, I, I always look forward to any opportunity to be able to screen things in a theater, and Le Bois has been a really great place to do that.
5: And this is my first um, instance being, um, screening something with the Le Bois, but um, similarly to what Zach's saying, um, in the few instances where I have had films in, in different film festivals, it's I, I've particularly enjoyed just turning around and just scanning the audience and, and witnessing their emotions and their reactions to what, you're, uh, what you've spent so much time um, producing, and like you say, you're sitting there on the computer and it's a pretty lonely experience doing it in that way, but to actually experience it together with an audience has been really gratifying.
6: For me, coincidentally, I served on the board of the Land Trust for several years, and many times I was involved in the film selection during the Wild and Scenic Film Festival years, and I, I loved the festival and it was always enjoyable. But to some extent, we were limited by what we could choose. We were fed, you know, we were we were given some choices, needed to make it fit into the time that we had, and so it's been really exciting for me to see this um, development to have. To focus more on the local, um, the local filmmakers for the festival because that was not um, something that we were able to do. So I think it's, I think it's awesome.
0: Awesome, yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it's, it's really good. I mean, thank you, Julia, who, <laughs> for for bringing that question up because yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it it's good to get that feedback from from you guys, the filmmakers, right? I mean, we're a big part of what we're doing here. Is 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 for the filmmaking community here in Boise and to establish connections and, and, you know, that always leads to interesting, uh, collaborative relationships. Um, and, you know, speaking as a filmmaker, I mean, um, you know, to continue on a lot of the points that, that all of you guys made, um, I mean, first of all, the Egyptian is absolutely, I think, you know, one of the best places uh, to screen a film. It's, it's a really fantastic venue, definitely the best screening, venue in Boise um, and you know Glenn you mentioned that you know you premiered your film The Falconer which is going to screen at La Bois you premiered it at, at Wild and Scenic a couple weeks ago you know I had a similar experience where uh, uh, you know I, I told the story about how I screened my film Bluebird Man several years ago at Wild and Scenic and then it it came and screened in Boise as a part of the traveling Wild and Scenic program and you know I went to Wild and Scenic and, and saw you know a- attended the screenings uh, at, at Wild and Scenic which is you know one of the largest and most prestigious environmentally focused film festivals uh, in the country. And then I came to this screening here in Boise. And I mean, part of it is that it, it's, you know, the story is, it takes place here here in Idaho. And, and my main character was sitting right next to me. Um, but part of it is just that, you know, the audience was so fantastic. Um, you know, you've got almost 800 people sitting there and you know, something really special happens. And, and Zach, you kind of touched on this a little bit, like s- something really special happens when you have a big group of people Watching your film, right? You spend so much time, you know, with this this story, you know, in the editing room and and, and staring and like making all these, you know, minute decisions about like where to cut and all this stuff, um, and then to see it up on the screen and to see the reactions of the audience is something really special for me. And you know, re- unexpected things happen. You know like the 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 reaction of a large audience to your film is in my experience is never going to be exactly what you expect you know they're going to react to certain things uh in surprising ways and it's really really fun to see how people respond to you know this this work of art that you you put so much time into so yeah i think that's that's gonna about wrap things up here I'm sure all of us are getting hot and sweaty in this this small little studio here. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to say thanks to to all of you for participating in this discussion about conservation filmmaking here in Boise, Idaho. Um, It's been a lot of fun getting you all in the same room. And, yeah, if this discussion has perked the interest uh, of any of the listeners out there, you have the opportunity to see all of these films that we discussed at Le Film Festival on March 4th. Thanks again to everybody. Thank you.
2: Thanks, man.
7: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, that was our Boise Filmmaker Panel Discussion featuring Pat Metzler, Glenn Oakley, Zach Voss, Jason Kaufman, Susan Sad, and Dave Cook, all of whom have film screening at this year's Lebois Film Festival here in Boise, Idaho. It's really interesting for me to hear about all the different backgrounds of each of these filmmakers and to see how they all ended up producing films about conservation and the natural world. If you want to learn more about the work being done by each of these talented individuals, you can visit the show notes page for this episode, where we'll share links to some of their videos as well as information about these upcoming screenings that are happening as a part of Lebois Film Festival. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org/eoc110. That's w-i-l-d-l-e-n-s-i-n-c.org/eoc110. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or just about any podcatcher out there. If you really appreciated today's conversation, you can leave us an honest rating and review on iTunes. This really helps new people discover the show. The Eyes on Conservation podcast is a production of Wild Lens. Today's show was produced by myself, your host Matt Podolsky, along with Remington Beyer from Building a Greener Idaho. Our theme music is by The Humidors.